Genre. Welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character and a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski, and this week we're discussing Tuck Kirby and TJ Breckenridge from the film The Valley of Guanji. And joining me for the discussion is producer Andrew. Welcome, Andrew. Hello. I feel like we should maybe say, like, an okay story. Like, just a fine story. (laughs) Well, I think think actually, like, pretty interesting characters. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, you know, there is enough between what the character's actions are and what the characters say their motivations are. Like, I think there's actually going to be some, some meat on these bones yeah. to, to talk about. Uh, and it wasn't a bad story. I mean, it's, it's very much King Kong. Yes. And I'll get into that in the trivia and, and some <laughs> Jurassic Parkness to it and, and everything. So, you know, partway through, I'm like, okay, like, yeah, I see what's going on here. Mm hmm. But, I, I'd say this is basically a, like a really solid classic B movie, you know, where yeah. it's not the studio putting the big stars or the big budget or their big writers. It's this like, ah, we got an idea for a story. Let's get this done. And they do a pretty good job with what they have. Yeah, but like, it's nothing great. It's just this is solid. No, I, th- I think like at least a B plus. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, 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 mean, like you know, I, I know a, you're using the terminology like yeah. the A film and the B film, mm, you yeah. know, in terms of a double feature. Yeah. Uh, but. But, you know, like in, in grading terms, like, well, I've seen some B movies and they're not all this good. That That's for sure. But so, but also this is not as good as some others. I mean, like Invasion of the Body Snatchers, I think, is, is a B film. And like, that's a pretty killer B film. Oh, Night of the Living Dead. Like, that, yeah. that's solid all like, the way through. There are really great ones. And it's like, this is not to that level, but it's not it's not bad. Like, yeah. they did not do a bad job making this movie. It's. It's not like badly written. It's not clunky. The effects are actually really good, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think. Yeah, for when it was uh, made. So we're talking about The Valley of Guanji, a 1969 film written by William Bast, Julian Moore, and Willis H. O'Brien, and directed by Jim O'Connolly, and with a huge uh, nod of support to uh, Ray Harryhausen, who, mm-hmm. the way that he does special effects, he becomes like a co-director of all those scenes. Yeah. Um, and this tells the story of cowboys capturing a dinosaur and bringing it back to an old West show before it breaks free and terrorizes a town. And it starred James Franciscus as Tuck Kirby and Gila Golan as TJ Breckenridge. Those are some good names. Mm-hmm. TJ Breckenridge is your cowboy and cowgirl leads. Um, how do we come to this, Andrew? Do you want to tell the story? Or do you want me? So uh a few weeks ago, we were doing some family games together. Our, our families were in the same place doing games. And we like to play the game Balderdash sometimes, which involves making up uh, I'm making up the, the counterpart to a prompt. So sometimes that prompt is is a word definition. Sometimes it's a so you're given a word to make up the definition. Yeah. Um, or... You know, what's this person famous for? All that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And. One of them is uh, on each card. There is a here's a movie title. Make up a plot summary, which is which is some of the inspiration for the game that we always play at Christmas. Mm-hmm. And so we did one of those and I was reading off the card for the Valley of Guanji and I lost the game due to 
the the way the I votes went out. on this. <laughs> I sussed out which one was the real plot. Yes, and and ultimately that's what put you ahead. It was you figuring out which was the correct plot to the Valley of Guanji, uh, which reading it off, I was not sure about the pronunciation. It is it is an irregular word. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't know what the origin of the word is for the sake of this film. It like in inside the film, they start calling the T-Rex Guanji. They, like or they the give him a name. We'll get into that in the trivia oh, too. Okay, Allosaurus. It is uh, debatable which one is supposed to be. Right, and it, like the word is whispered throughout the film a couple of times, mm-hmm. and it's like, what is going on with this? Is it supposed to be like the? Is the dinosaur saying this? <laughs> and I don't know. But anyway, we read off the the summary, and it seemed outrageous. You know, cowboys and dinosaurs, and then. So I think your daughter looked it up on YouTube and, and we're like, wait, th- th- we can find a trailer. And so we decided to watch the trailer for this. And like, this looks like Ray Harryhausen. Yeah, this is Ray Harryhausen. Like, Harryhausen. We've never done a Harryhausen film. We should do this on the podcast mm-hmm. without watching it. Just with that one sentence summary from the back of the card and seeing that it was Harryhausen effects. We're like, we, we got to do this. Well, we watched the trailer. and I was like, th- these effects look like pretty good. Even, even from Harryhausen standards, like, this is maybe better than average Harryhausen. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so we're like, let's do it. <laughs> yeah. So Ray Harryhausen, for anyone who's not familiar, did stop motion animation that was blended in with live action performances. Uh, he, he was very much inspired by King Kong um, as uh, a child and like tried to make his own versions of King Kong. And some of his most famous would be Jason and the Argonauts. Mm-hmm. And uh, is it the seventh voyage of Sinbad? It's a Sinbad film. I just can't remember the exact I don't title. know. I don't know that. Um, I know. I know Jason and the Argonauts uh, best of all. And I'd say uh, some of the animation in this looks smoother than some of some of the worst animation in in Jason and the Argonauts. Yeah. Uh, probably his most famous sequence is from Jason and the Argonauts when the skeleton mm-hmm. soldiers fight uh, the the Argonauts. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's also like a, a bronze giant mm-hmm. at some point. So, you know, there's all kinds of stuff. And this in this one, we get cowboys trying to, you know, wrangle a, a, a T-Rex slash Allosaurus mm-hmm. and um, dealing so. with a number of, of other creatures. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is a distinctive style, the way that he he did it. If you've seen King Kong, which was Willis O'Brien did the work on King Kong, uh, it, it, he's very much inspired by King Kong. But he elevated what the, what year the would King Kong have been? 38 or nine. Let me just see. Okay. So, so 30 years before this. Mm-hmm. Um, no, not that one. Oh no, sorry. 33. A little earlier. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, but yeah, 30 ish years. Um, and it's worth just understanding like how special effects have developed. Like you can't talk about special effects today without talking about Harryhausen and specifically like Spielberg, George Lucas, JJ mm-hmm. Abrams, uh, Guillermo del Toro. They will all like sing praises of Harryhausen and how much his films helped to inspire them to create the worlds that they've created. I'd say, I'd say um, George Lucas is like, especially real because so much of star Wars and, and I'd say empire strikes back probably connects a lot to Harryhausen because of the, the walkers, the, mm-hmm. You know, the AT-ATs in, in the snow, those are stop motion Harryhausen style effects with miniatures that are moving. And then sometimes you're, you know, putting a, a live actor in front of that and, and you know, compositing and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, it, it's 
pretty amazing what uh what he does. Um, and so if you if you haven't seen a Harryhausen film, uh, go pull up Jason the Argonauts or The Valley of uh, uh, Guanji, and it, it's worth it just to kind of appreciate something that's so different from the computer animations that, that we have today, but is also so crucial in us reaching the way things are done today. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, some trivia about this. So Ray Harryhausen uh, was, as I said, a student of Willis O'Brien. He was doing like his his own um, stop motion work, trying to imitate what was being done in King Kong. And he somehow through a connection got Willis O'Brien, who did all this, everything in King Kong, to see his work. And Willis O'Brien kind of coached him and also told him some of uh, what he needed to focus on and guided his education, basically. Um, and I did not know this one. Uh, Andrew, you know, there's the U.S. Army Special Services Division that had like Frank Capra and Stanley and Dr. Seuss all in it working together, right? Uh, yeah, they were typically creating training materials. Yes. Uh, Harryhausen was working under Frank Capra in that unit. His oh name does not get mentioned in that group. That needs to be mentioned in that group all the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, so like he wasn't one of the heads, but he, he worked under Frank Capra in uh, – in that U.S. special as, as, service. Yeah, it feels the, like we need like a documentary about that division. They, they really should talk about that because so many names that we know are part of that. And mm-hmm. also it gives you a sense like, okay, the army was doing everything, right? If you were a creative, there was a place for you. Mm-hmm. If you, I mean, and I think we've talked about, you know, like if you were a magician and an illusionist, there is a place for you in the army during World War II. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there it's it, it's pretty uh, remarkable the assembly of talent uh, when it was like all hands on deck, but it's also like what are, would your hands be best at? And they found some places. Mm-hmm. So um, Harryhausen, that style that we've talked about, or this blend of stop motion and live action, was existed before him, but he uh, perfected it in a style that ended up being called dynamation. Uh, you know, blending dynamic and animation, where he would split the background and foreground of live action footage. And uh, he would insert his stop motion uh, animation into that with the black background that he had separated out from that live action footage would be rear projected while he was doing um, his model stop motion. Oh, and then the live action section where it was going to be would be matted out from that footage and they'd mat in the live action footage so that you get layers with Mm -hmm. his stop motion in a way that really um, was was very difficult to do. Um, and, and he, he, he did it and you end up with some pretty cool shots, <laughs> uh, from uh, this, uh, where, uh, where I, the stop motion yeah. isn't, it's not a flat scene. The stop motion could be at times the creatures are in the foreground. Sometimes they're in the mid ground with actors in front of them. And sometimes they're in the, in the, in the foreground with actors behind them. It's, it's a lot of cool angles come out of, mm-hmm. um, him taking the care and planning what, what live action shots he needs and where, where the stop motion is going to be taking place in, in all of these. Yeah. And also the tremendous work to so that involves matching up some of the stop motion so that when they composite everything, it's going to interact with actors who are who are working with nothing, not even not even tennis balls on sticks. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, like for the, the most famous. I, I, well, I mean, I guess there's probably two that might be the, the uh, Guanji, the dinosaur attacking the elephant is is 
that's something that's fairly notable. But when the cowboys throw their lassos around uh, mm-hmm. the Guanji, that's probably the the most difficult of those. And for that, I read that they had like a, a crane that was set up that they were lassoing a crane and they, they had to mat that all out mm-hmm. and put Guanji, you know, where the crane was. So they at least had a crane that they were throwing their lassos over. Yeah, they, they had <laughs> to put their lassos on something. Yeah, um, but it is it, a remarkable amount of work. That now, that, the that. elephant stop motion throughout most of that sequence, right? Yes, that is entirely stop motion. The, okay. that one. There, you see a live elephant earlier in the film where she there's uh, like a parade walking through yeah. the town and uh, TJ's riding on the elephant to kind of like drum up interest in her cowboy and Indian show that that they're doing over at the radio rodeo. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then during the the latter part, that is entirely stop motion. They said they couldn't right. uh, find an elephant that was right scale that they <laughs> uh, like a, a, a real life elephant. That was the scale they were trying to create with that. I feel like they were, that I mean, they, 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 they would have been even harder. They were trying to always be true to the scale on these things. I mean, it mm-hmm. it doesn't always work. Like it feels like Wanji kind of changes size depending on what's going on in some ways. But yeah, you know, they were doing the math on it to try and make it work. Yeah, but also like it's a pretty good sequence. Oh yeah, it, it's great. <laughs> um, so uh, the Valley of Guanji was originally planned by Willis O'Brien shortly after King Kong. Uh, he, he started to write a script and plan some of the action beats of what we end up seeing, uh, you know, in 1969. Um, and this was somewhat inspired by Arthur Conan Doyle's book, The Lost World. Some work was done on this in 1942, uh, but production did research that said the public doesn't want dinosaur films anymore. So the studio refused to finance it. <laughs> How many dinosaur film. films have they done before 1942 that everyone was burned out? I, I don't know. <laughs> Because really I couldn't name a single one if you asked me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and so after Willis O'Brien passes away, um, Harryhausen's frequent collaborator, Charles Schneer, who's a producer, bought the rights for Valley of Guanji from O'Brien's widow. And um, a lot of that original draft is here in this. Um, there are some changes like uh, the dinosaur was going to fight lions instead of an elephant. Uh, it was, it was going to be a circus instead of a rodeo, I think, uh, in, in that situation. Mm-hmm. And the dinosaur was going to, die after it was like backed off of a cliff by the hero in a truck uh, was was gonna be the big uh-huh thing. um but okay other than now that, a lot i'm of realizing it's is pretty close i am now realizing that we have been robbed of the guanji versus kong series of films <laughs> that we could have if, if this had been done in in, in the 19, 40s yeah in, in the 40s i bet we would have we would have had that um <laughs> Well, and, and I, I should also note that while Harry Housen didn't work on King Kong, um, his first major film was Mighty Joe Young. So he basically worked yeah. <laughs> on on a King Kong film. Um, Harry, uh, Mighty Joe Young being a, a fairly similar uh, project. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Another bit of trivia, which we've kind of alluded to. You in all the notes about the film, you see Guanji being referred to as both like an allosaurus and a tyrannosaurus, and the model is kind of neither, <laughs> kind of both, right. but neither. Uh, so I'm just going to refer to it as Guanji when we do the summary, and not trying to identify, but just imagine your classic uh, two leg upright predator, yeah, dinosaur. You're good. Well, and I mean, it's the '60s. The amount of knowledge that we had by the time we're getting to Jurassic Park, which you know, like 1990s dinosaur knowledge is is much more refined yes yeah it, it it feels like there's there's a lot of leaps in these decades uh and it does make me wonder like what did i learn that's not accurate anymore mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah what what has been revealed in the last 30 years yes exactly in my childhood dinosaur phase what was i learning that's not actually a fact you should ask my son about it because he's in his childhood dinosaur phase Ah, oh, it's a great phase 
Um, did you, when you were watching the film, did it stand out to you occasionally that it felt like the lips and the voices didn't always match up perfectly? Yes. Um, okay. I, I'd say ADR was uh, not super often, but but maybe half a dozen times. I'm like, wait a second. Mm-hmm. Well, some of that is because Hila Golan is an Israeli actress, and they decided her accent was distracting, so they redubbed her with an American actress. Every single line is a different actress's voice. Uh huh. <laughs> I I was gonna say and you it were probably saying like it was more for, distracting when it was a close up on her. Yeah, it it was yeah for her in particular. It was like yeah, sometimes this seems so. All so I've not heard her voice. Yep, that is correct. Okay. Um. So the Valley Guanji ended up with a pretty poor box office showing. The producers felt like the studio didn't promote it uh, appropriately. They just kind of dumped it without any advertising and it never found an audience. But it's since become a bit of a cult classic and it has a few places where you um, it'll crop up. So, I mean, Dell Comics released a comic adaptation of it. Um, The scene where uh, Guanji appears and snatches the uh, Ornithomimus. Uh, like, like there's a small dinosaur running away oh, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and the T-Rex just pops out and or, well, the T-Rex slash Allosaurus pops out and grabs it. That was directly referenced to Jurassic Park. Uh, like when I saw it, I was like, that felt oh, familiar. Yeah. I've seen, like, yeah. Spielberg was like, oh, yeah, that was an homage because I loved watching the Valley of Wanji. Uh, you know, okay. on TV. Like that was one of his reference points for Jurassic Park. Um, and so, I think I, I can picture that now. Mm hmm. And there was a 1980s TV show called Scarecrow and Mrs. King, which I remember knowing was a thing when I was a child in the eighties, but I don't think I've heard anyone talk about since the eighties, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is one of those TV shows. I think was a pretty big deal when it was on, but people don't really talk about very much anymore. But apparently in that TV show, if there was a TV on this movie was on the TV only that was like the only <laughs> thing that was ever on TV <laughs> was the Valley of Guanji. Okay. I love that as being like the gag in the show. Yes. Is this is the only thing that's on TV in this universe. Yes, and I would love it if there was a TV show that, like, carefully, anytime, like, TV was on in the background, it was, like, in sequence. You could watch the entire film, an entire film in the background <laughs> across, like, three seasons. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, oh, there, there was amazing. two minutes in the background while they were talking. Did you see it? Did you see it? <laughs> oh, that'd be amazing. I feel like, I feel like now they basically, like, don't let you see TVs. Yeah. In shows most of the time. But that feels like a gag that could have been done on, uh, on like community. Uh, mm-hmm. Like there, you know, there's a TV in the background of the study room, uh, and if if you look closely, there's actually like an entire 1950s B science fiction film has played uh, mm-hmm. in the background on on community, something like that. Well, now I want it to be the Valley of Guanji, and for it to Always. be like it's like no, this is a reference to this other show that only put this on TVs. <laughs> um whose line is it anyway uh the um improv comedy show had a bit where one of the comedians was in front of a green screen and the other ones were like newscasters in a studio throwing it to him but he didn't know what was playing on the green screen and there was one uh, bit that had colin mockery in front of uh one of the action sequences from this film uh so he had no idea there were cowboys and dinosaurs behind him uh until he got enough clues from the the other improv comedians you you shared with me that that sequence that clip and he named it like yeah, he knew he what this movie was at, at the end of the, of, of the bit, uh, Drew Carey asks, uh, Colin Mockery, like, do, do you know what's behind you? He's like the Valley of Guanji <laughs> or yeah, I think he, I think he says it like before they end the bit. Like he, he like is announcing. He's like, I know exactly what this is, mm-hmm. which is wild. Like he figured <laughs> out, it's like Cowboys and dinosaurs. Got it. I know what movie this is even. Yes. 
and I remember the name of it, that I could throw it out on stage, you know, in front yes. of TV cameras. I'm going to get this name right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other bit of trivia is uh, if you are a fan of Friends, uh, apparently there's an episode where Joey's in the hospital looking for something to watch on TV and Valley of Guanji's on TV. Hmm. I've never seen the episode, so I don't know how prominent it is. It just nope. showed up in the trivia on Wikipedia. <laughs> I, <laughs> so I was I'm this. surprised at, like, I mean, that's a surprising number of touch points. Yeah. For this. So th- this is not a movie that people just like don't know. Like you could have pulled that card in Balderdash and people would be like, I've seen that movie. Yeah, I, I think if you if you have the right audience you're playing with, uh, it, it could have come up. And now that includes listeners to this podcast. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, before we move on to the summary, which I mean, I'm not going to lie. You can probably guess a lot of the summary already, listeners, <laughs> of, of what's going to happen. I mean, there's a few surprises, but you could guess a lot. Uh, but we want to thank you for downloading this episode. And we especially want to thank any of you who support us on Patreon. If you'd like to support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support our show with at least a dollar per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we talk about the media we've been consuming that we are not yet covering as full episodes of the podcast. We also give updates on the 2023 fantasy box office and all patrons who support us with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss. Uh, on to the spoiler summary. So we're set in Mexico in the early 1900s. There's, I, I, well, I, I just want to say up front, when I started watching this movie, there were so many things that put me on guard for like, how inappropriate is this going to get? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, uh, how racist? How cultural cultural stereotyping. How, how like, insensitive is this going to be about issues? Because there's a lot of things I'm going to say that you as a listener are probably going to be, and I've got to say it was, it's not like great and progressive in the portrayals, but it also was not as offensive as I was worried it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, like they start with, with like this wild West show. And mm-hmm. so it's cowboys and Indians and, and like, okay, this and there's, is not, there's just enough distance where it's like, okay, this could be someone in the sixties looking back on yes. the early 1900s and doing a little commentary. Cause it's clearly white people dressed as Indians, but they also are very upfront that, yeah, these aren't real Indians. Like, like, there, there's some kind of acknowledgement there. Yeah, it's like they're very clear. It's like, no, it's like the Buffalo Bill Wild West show. Like, it's not authentic, guys. Uh-huh. Yeah, like, there's no claims of authenticity, authenticity, and there's a little winking to the audience that, yeah, this isn't mm-hmm. authentic. Now, wait, do you need to do the, the small prologue that we have? Okay, uh, I, I forgot the details of it until I had, like, finished the summary. So the small prologue is there's a man who comes wandering out of the desert carrying a bag that's making some weird noises. Uh, and then honestly, that bag is maybe the creepiest thing in the movie. Yes. <laughs> Just like then, this bag moving and making noises. I'm like, oh, gosh, that's uncomfortable. He dies. A man named Carlos runs out and grabs the bag and starts walking away. And then um, there's in the language of the time, it would be called a gypsy woman. Uh, it would be a Romani woman is is the, the more proper term that we would use today. This is another one where immediately I'm like, oh, no, <laughs> what, what kind of stereotypes are we going to get? And she does the. A, a, a curse kind of language about like, no, you shouldn't take anything from this valley. You will be, you'll cursed. be cursed. Mm-hmm. And then the man walks away carrying the bag. So after that prologue, we now cut to uh, TJ uh, running, at, you know, which I said, not terribly progressive. We do have a woman who's in charge of this business venture. So there is that, uh, you know, she's running this traveling cowboy and Indian show. And then we get, we see Tuck Kirby come into town. And my thought when I saw this man was, if they were making a Barbie movie in 1969, he would play Ken. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. Tan, <laughs> blonde, handsome. Uh huh. White, white, straight teeth. Like, like, mm-hmm. uh, unnaturally white and straight teeth. For for the uh, rugged man that this is supposed to be. Yes. Uh, and that he is an ex of TJ's. 
Uh, he's coming to see her because he wants to buy out the show. He's working for Buffalo Bill's show right now, right? Is that right? Um, they they mentioned Buffalo Bill. He he has some sort of involvement with with other shows. With a bigger show that wants to swallow up TJ's, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's trying to find her though, and he can't. So he gets a Mexican boy named Lope to take him to where the show is, which importantly is a couple miles outside of town. <laughs> Later on in the film, you might question that distance. I. Th- uh, yeah you know what <laughs> you're right yeah and also this town at the beginning feels like a very small you know going to grow town but it has not grown yet at the end of the mm-hmm. film it's kind of a dinosaur wandering through a metropolis yeah it feels a, a little different by the end of the movie yeah <laughs> um but so they could only so, get all the extras for like two days so <laughs> yes uh tuck uh, goes and finds tj uh, TJ's not interested in anything that Tuck has to offer. Uh, <laughs> both his flirtatious ways and his business proposal. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, Lope has gotten into the ring where the rodeo takes place the and the cowboy Indian show. Uh, a bull gets loose. Uh, Tuck goes in and saves Lope, gets him out of there, but he gets hit by the bull and a man named Carlos comes in and wrestles the bull down. Uh, TJ sees Tuck's heroism and doesn't resist when he now aggressively kisses her. In a way that feels a little inappropriate. Uh, Tuck, I think I think she was initiating contact with him in in flirtation at this point. I don't know. It felt like she was like checking on him, like, "Hey, are you okay?" And then he just kissed her. I'm like, no, I mean, like, like she's like done up his wounds and everything. And I, I, I got a lot of flirtatious energy from her in this sequence. Yeah, okay. it, right, it, now- does he? He he does in fact kiss her aggressively. Yes, <laughs> but I do feel like she was. Warming up their relationship. Okay. Tuck goes and he meets a paleontologist, Dr. Bromley. And I literally can't remember why he goes and meets Dr. Bromley. Just there's a Dr. Bromley out in the in the desert. He and Lope were just like on their way somewhere for some yeah. reason. Uh, Dr. Bromley shows him some fossilized tiny horse tracks, explaining that these are from an ancestor of modern day horses uh, before horses grew to the size that they are now. Like this was a tiny uh, ancient horse mm-hmm. uh, that left these tracks. And then TJ says... Tuck later on. I've got a surprise to show you that's going to draw audiences to my show. And it is a tiny horse that she has named El Diablo that she says was found in the desert. So this is what was in that bag in that opening scene. Mm -hmm. Tuck goes and gets that paleontologist. They're good buddies now. Uh, And so Bromley (laughs) looks at this tiny horse and says, this is the exact kind of creature that made those fossilized tracks, but it should have gone extinct millions of years ago. The tiny horse um, was taken from the Forbidden Valley. Uh, and let's see, it is Zarina is the Romani woman uh, who who warned them. She says the horse has to be returned back to that valley. So she orders other Romani to steal a horse and return it to the Forbidden Valley. Bromley wants to help with this plan so that he can go with them and study the valley that it came from and hopefully find some other specimens. Carlos comes across the theft, tries to stop it, but he gets knocked out. So now Tuck sees the Romani taking off with the horse and he takes off after them. Then Carlos wakes up and sees Tuck leaving and says, Tuck took the horse. TJ comes across Carlos. And now they all, everyone's chasing everyone mm-hmm. out to the Valley. This, uh, this part's really convoluted and it, it really doesn't deserve this much convolution. No, and because it's fact, like, if we just, we could have found a tidier way to get everyone to the Valley. And then a little bit, there's like this implication that Carlos was accusing Tuck to try and make TJ not like Tuck. But yes. there's nothing in this moment that makes you see anything other than what Carlos sees and, and thinks Tuck is running off with the horse. Uh, yeah. And I mean, Tuck is shown to be like financially interested. And so it would make sense for him to steal the horse. The and, professor and, 
yeah. is just trying to find his he's just trying to get to the valley and so he's trying to use the romani people to he's trying to like follow them to get to mm-hmm. the valley so he can study stuff but it also means that he's backstabbing tuck yeah and taking advantage at, well and and by like extension backstabbing tj mm-hmm. so it, it is like kind of needlessly complicated right here <laughs> i agree and <laughs> I, I, I'm done trying to summarize it. I'll just know everyone gets out to the valley. Uh, and once they get out there, a Pteranodon flies down and picks up Lope. Poor, poor Lope. Bull came after him and now Pteranodon. Fortunately, I, so at this point, I think we should clarify. Um, we're dealing just with Lope, Tuck, TJ, and some some hands from the show. From the show. Yeah, Car- Carlos is there. The professor's there. But but some show hands are, are going to be part of this as well. I'm going to let the listeners in on a little secret that the show hands don't even know at this point, those show hands grabbed the guns with all the blanks from their show. <laughs> so yeah. they think they have guns to, to deal with any threats. They don't actually, um, uh, but yeah, so, so the Romani are not part of the excursion anymore. Right. Uh, they so chase the, so they, they chase the tiny horse through a cave, which is what gets them into the Valley, mm-hmm. the Valley of Guanji. So they, uh, they, they're able to get, Lope away from the Pteranodon, which when it's on the ground, Carlos is able to come up and snap its neck. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Carl- <laughs> kind of violent. Yeah, Carlos is a tough guy in this. Not tough enough. We'll find out in a little bit. R- wrestles uh, a bull to the ground, snaps, which was snaps a real bull. pterodactyl's he, neck. Like, uh, when we talk about things that you wouldn't see today, uh, some of the portrayals of uh, you know that are a little exoticized in the portrayals mm-hmm. of the Romani and the Mexican people. But so that's something you want to see today. Also, the stunts, stunt work with real live animals uh, oh, yeah. that is incredibly dangerous. You would not see that today. There's oh, yeah. some, some horses it, that may have been been hurt in this. Some people that may have been rolled under horses. Uh, <laughs> some like, of the stunt men. Yeah. Like you see it happen. And yeah. And, it, and in that instance, Carlos was in the ring with the bull, grabbing the bull by the horns and being being lifted up and thrown around a little bit mm-hmm. uh, when he when he was in that earlier sequence. I will say like watching it and, and recognizing because they do you know a little bit of the Wild West show and everything. And a lot of horses are tipped over and people are jumping from horses. And I acknowledge like, oh, that's not up to modern safety practices. Mm-hmm. I will say it looked kind of amazing. Oh, like, the, the ability for them to safely. I assume do some of these stunts and, and perhaps unsafely do some of them. I was like, this is really amazing though, to see them, you know, jumping from horse to horse yeah. and all of those kinds of things. I'm like, This is kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, so they rescue Lope. Carl snaps the dinosaur's neck. Then an ornithomimus runs by uh, and gets eaten by Guanji, which now this is the big, scary dinosaur. Uh, <clears throat> so Guanji chases all the cowboys and their horses. They hide in a cave. Uh, Styracosaurus comes by Guanji kind of gets driven off by that that is and that's kind of a uh, it's like a triceratops kind of mm-hmm. thing so with spiky a spiky ridge instead of a flat plate yeah Um, and then there's a fairly long sequence of them running around in this valley and avoiding dinosaurs and kind of attacking dinosaurs kind of avoiding well, I'm, I'm not going to summarize everything just in the <laughs> end no Carlos is killed uh, in this, there's a gag with the professor falling into a trap. I have no idea how they dug the hole that is the trap <laughs> that they were going to try and catch a dinosaur in. That's the King Kong cut for this movie is <laughs> digging the hole. It doesn't yes. work. It doesn't pay off. They don't actually have a King Kong cut because they show us how they're going to get the dinosaur back to the yeah. to the place. But yes, yeah, somehow they dug a, a massive pit. <laughs> mm hmm. Uh, and, and the professor falls into it and really like the, they run out thinking it's a dinosaur and then it's a professor down at the bottom of the pit and it really felt like um, 
if, if you ever watched like old 1960s Star Trek and they have to do like a laugh, laugh oh, at yeah. the end, for the final scene. That's what this was. Only mm-hmm. it was in the middle of the film. <laughs> Where it's like, we don't know how to move on, but we're just going to do a little gag here. Uh, yep. And you get a little groaning laugh from everyone, <laughs> including the people on screen. Um, so, uh, you know, they, they're doing all this stuff. Some really great Harryhausen stop motion work is at play. Eventually, though, Guanji gets knocked unconscious from a rock slide and they tie him up. They do a really, really careful job of tying Guanji's mouth closed. The next shot, Guanji's mouth is untied. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Like there's a lot of time spent showing how tightly they're tying Guanji's mouth closed. And then he's, uh, he's in a sled. Slash, it has wheels. So it's a, it's, it's a yeah. rolling cart cage. Don't know how they built the wheels. Mm-hmm. Like it looks like they fashioned a cage. Yes. For Guanji. Uh, including wheels. We're just going to move with this. They take Guanji back to the city. Um, and there's going to be a big premiere for the, the rodeo where Guanji is now going to be the centerpiece attraction. Mm-hmm. Things go wrong. Uh, so there's been a little man that was among the Romani. He's going to run in and try and release Guanji to cause chaos. Um, the, the, the little person's going to get eaten by Guanji. Um, and uh, they, they also had an elephant in the show. So there's going to be a Guanji versus the elephant fight that's happening mm-hmm. in like the, uh, the ring where, where the, uh, you know, the bull was earlier. Uh, but then Guanji is not going to be content with this and is just going to start storming through the town. There's going to be people running chaos. Uh, everyone's going to run into a, a, a cavernous cathedral. Uh, <laughs> a real big church. <laughs> yes. Uh, but then the, 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 Guanji enters the cathedral and now that's where everyone is. So now Tuck, hero mode, he's going to get the whole crowd out. Uh, except TJ and Lope are still going to be with him. So we got Tuck, TJ, and Lope uh, in the cathedral with Guanji. There's some various heroics that are going to take place here. In the end, Guanji and the cathedral are lit on fire. Tuck and uh, his little family unit of TJ and Lope escape out and watch as uh, from outside the cathedral now, flames rise and some of the, the roof starts to collapse in uh, and, and Guanji dies. The end. Mm-hmm. A-, a cathedral is burned to the ground. Oh, I, and this was a nice one. This was a lot of work. This uh, is on, the on biggest this. building in town. Yeah. <laughs> um, few things that I want to note. One of my favorite lines, uh, which I am not 100% sure I got this down word for word, because I, 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 when I was scrubbing to try and find it when I was writing up the summary, I could not find it. But more or less, there's this moment when they're in the valley. They, they've escaped to the cave. Like they're, they're spending the night in the cave. They're like, this is the moment of breathing after the big dinosaur, first dinosaur action and before the next day's big dinosaur action. Where... Uh, Carlos accuses Tuck of stealing El Diablo, the little horse. And Tuck can't have that. So they're about to have a fist fight. TJ comes up and says, where do you think we are? Civilization? We need each other here if we're going to survive. <laughs> Implying that if we were in a civilized, civilized place, place, this is where we'd have a fist fight. fight to show who's yes. the man. <laughs> but because <laughs> we're in the wild, please don't have a fist fight right now. We need to survive. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yes. The, the fist fight, the duel is, you know, one of the hallmarks of civilized society, not <laughs> barbarianism in the wild. Right. Yeah. Where the, yes, there's violence, but it's man against dinosaur out here, not man against man. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yes. I do remember that line. And I remember having to think about that line. <laughs> like, wait, what to did be she like, say? Do we have a civil like a first what item? Is like, do we have a civilization? Like, are you civilized? But no, I mean, that's not what she was saying. It's ADR, so like it's hard to say with certainty. It's like, did they have to make something fit? You know, the mouth movements or what? But it's just it's just yeah. great. Um uh, I I know this line was in the trailer, and I can't remember 
exactly what it is, but at some point, you know, the, the groups had been split up in, in the valley and Tuck leads a group back and he comes across the professor and the professor's like, I've got to stay. I've got to study all this stuff. And Tuck's like, we don't have time for that. There's a giant lizard coming behind us. Now climb aboard <laughs> to like get him yeah. onto the horse. Uh-huh. And I was like, that's a great line. And it's great delivery. And I understand why they put that in the. <laughs> There's a giant lizard coming behind us. Climb aboard. Yeah. Um. Okay. So, so what do you want to talk about from this movie? All right. What, one other nit to pick. Have they ever heard an elephant? Oh, I elephant don't sounds. I don't remember that like an one. elephant. Whatever sound effects they were using, I don't think that was in an elephant recording <laughs> they had going <laughs> during, during the And fight. they should have been able to get it. Yeah. Okay, I've just had like a deep realization in in my head. Go on. So you had mentioned like Star Trek and mm-hmm. and everything. So Star Trek's kind of contemporary with this. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it would be off the air by the time this is happening. But yeah, that's the feeling of television entertainment. This is ten years before Star Wars. Yes. So this movie came out ten years before Star Wars. I, like I'm just like coming to grips with how close together this is with something that I'm like intimately familiar with. Yeah. And I've seen dozens at least of times. Uh huh. And like, but then there's this and they're yeah. actually very close together. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's, I mean, especially when you like the way we compress things as adults, where it's like, everything feels like it's come out within the last 10 years. If it came mm-hmm. out after we were in college. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and really, you know, I've, I've been out of college for, for longer than 10 years. Uh, so, so some of that link, it's a sliding scale, but everything feels of a piece since, you know, I graduated from high school to the present. That's all kind of like modern entertainment. So yeah, for lots of people, Valley of Guanji and Star Wars, that was all just modern entertainment that came out. Right. Uh, so yeah, I was just like realizing, oh, this is like how close together they are. And and also that means how close together the filmmaking techniques are. And so when you talked about recording, I was like, Oh yeah. Ben Burt was probably, you know, starting to learn how he was going to do all of his stuff for star Wars sound effects. Mm-hmm. Well, and even, uh, I mean, some of the genre mashing that you see with this where, okay, it's cowboys and dinosaurs, right? Like, mm-hmm. That, that doesn't belong together. That's the same, like Han Solo is a cowboy in star Wars, right? It's, it's cowboys in science fiction, but then also knights in science fiction, you know, where, uh, and high fantasy in science fiction. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of genres that are going to be floating through star Wars that are just like, well, let's, let's see what happens when we put these into the mixer and see what comes out. That is kind of, you know, the seed of this, this very story. Mm-hmm. I remember the, the card I read for Balderdash referred to it as like a 1969 sci-fi Western. Yes. And I, I remember it did say that on the, on the card. And when and, I watched and it, that perplexed me as like in 1969, they were calling something a sci-fi Western. Like in my mind, that was a, like a phrase that only would have been coined in like the two thousands. Yeah. It was like, uh, no, we're doing space Western. And all I could think of, I was kind of waiting for like some scientific time travel explanation. For but there's not. The there's not. No, it's just, so it's I would not call this a land of the lost kind of like, yeah. nope, there's dinosaurs in the secret valley. Yeah, which you see like the X-Men has the Savage Land, you know, mm-hmm. where there's a secret valley of dinosaurs that exists in the Marvel Universe, where if you want to go have a dinosaur adventure with your superheroes, we've given you a narrative explanation for it. Uh, I mean, the the DC uh, has our, Dinosaur Island. Yes, there's the Arthur Conan Doyle story that was mentioned as one of the inspirations for this. Uh, you know, it's just basically that there's a secret place somewhere on Earth 
the dinosaurs still live. And sometimes us modern civilized people encounter those those creatures. And, you know, that's that's a story <laughs> in this case. They said it in the uh, early 1900s, specifically uh, Harryhausen said that they they didn't they thought if it was too modern, it would just be the military against dinosaurs. And they didn't want to do that. Mm-hmm. They liked the idea of it being a little more old timey. Um, instead of just a tank driving in <laughs> against a right. dinosaur, which I haven't seen it, but that feels like what the Jurassic World franchise has become in some ways. Um, I haven't seen the last one. Yeah, from the trailers, it just feels like it's <laughs> that. That is kind of what they've ended up doing: is just military and dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. Uh, should we deal with characters? Yes. Yeah. I, I so. The, the, the two main ones that are going to have an arc and I will just say, you know, when I said it wasn't like as aggressively problematic as I expected, there is like the, the idea that the, the ones who are going to die are going to be our characters of color. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and, and our white leads are, are safe the whole way through. Uh, you know, we definitely have that happening within the story, but uh, TJ and um, uh, Tuck are, are two main characters. That I think probably we have the most to say about. Right. I mean, we have the the professor who does die. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, that's right. But we we were debating before the, this recorded. Like, did he actually die? Yeah, probably. Uh, I, like, like, like something falls the, on him the and giant, we never see him again. Yeah. Yeah. The giant cage kind of lands on him. So yeah, and we, we never see him again in the film. So you're right. There, the professor does probably die. And uh, well, and this also fits into kind of the classic thing where, okay. If they've died in this, kind of in terms like Jurassic Park, if they died in this, there's got to be, you know, they were greedy or they were something. You know, there was probably some sort of negative character trait mm-hmm. um, that theoretically leads to their demise or or is, you know, a reason that you shouldn't feel too bad. Right. And uh, and I don't know if it's super effective in this because I'm trying to think like Carlos seems fine. Yeah, like I, I think maybe that's why they have the almost fight. With Tuck, the audience is supposed to be rooting for Tuck. Carlos accuses him of being a horse thief. The audience knows he's not a horse thief. But I don't think they did anything in the story to make us uh, think that Carlos was out of line in yeah. making that accusation. No, like like Carlos is pretty much as heroic as Tuck throughout the yes. film. He he you know, helps rescue better, Lope. Be- better than Tuck at actually finishing the job and mm-hmm. rescuing Lope. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think Tuck, Tuck was with the other party at that point. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, also, can we talk about the sequence where he's wrestling the Pteranodon, which is the mixture, like the most complete mixture of like farther shots and close ups that really blend the, you know, the actors and, and also the, the stop motion, like stop motion. And then also like a full size puppet that Carlos is wrestling on the a, ground, a really big puppet that he is yeah. wrestling with. <laughs> and, yeah. And, and it's like, wrenching, wrenching its head like it, it looks pretty cool. Like, like, they, like, oh, they, they actually made this look pretty good. Yeah, they made a big old puppet for them to for him to, you know, wrestle against and then and then snap its neck. It was like, that's kind of a that's that's an interesting sequence. Mm-hmm. You know, they could have gone more one way or the other on it, but they kept cutting back and forth with it. Or, j- yeah, just um, having like the trend on fly off after it lost Lope. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I am remembering in Jason and the Argonauts, they definitely f- fight some flying creatures at one point. Yeah, I think uh, some flying creatures pick some th- somebody up or something. I can't yeah. remember. Um, and yeah, and uh, this they they do 
Like they 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 bring the action like really one on one with Carlos and and the Tyrannodon on the ground where it's it's not the stop motion anymore. So I mean, there's definitely different techniques that are at play, but they blend it pretty well. I mean, there's when we're saying they do this pretty well, you can always tell when it's stop motion. Like yeah. we're not trying to say it's it's like oh my goodness that looks so realistic, but it's not but clunky just, stop motion. A lot of the it time, it's still pretty looks fluid. amazing that they did this. I, I'm just in awe that Harryhausen pulled this off. They have the dinosaurs' tails move a lot, like like swiveling back and forth like a snake's tail. I'm like that's a lot of extra movement that they have to account for, and they didn't have to make it that hard on themselves. Yeah, and uh, I was reading up a little bit more, like some of the other changes that he, uh, Harryhausen was working on, like he. Uh, changed the way the things were being lit uh, to try and make it blend in a little more with the, the techniques he was doing. He also um, did something uh, like they were even like experimenting with different film stocks and other things for the, for the stop motion mm. portions to really try and make it be able to work. So like, there's a lot of technical expertise that's going on. Um, yeah. So, so one of the biggest things to me was like, Oh, the dinosaurs look pretty fluid. You know, they don't look jittery or jerky or anything. And I wonder if with, with like Jason and the Argonauts, a lot of that is human shapes. And so if they yeah. don't look quite right, then they it's really noticeable. And with the dinosaurs, maybe it's not as as noticeable. I will say um, there was one moment that it felt like they kind of cheaped out. And it was uh, when when Guanji escapes the valley and gets knocked out. And there's just a toy dinosaur that slid through a pile of sand. <laughs> or or, yeah, it's or like, it's one completely of the rigid. Or yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, it, I, I know. It, yeah, you're right. It, it's one of the models, but it looks like, you know, kind of you're like your classic toy dinosaur and they just kind of push it down some sand. I will say also when um, El Diablo, the little horse runs away, mm-hmm. um, a lot of that is stop motion, but they also did release a baby goat and just filmed it running around. Right. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> so there's like some of the, the more distant shots. That's just a baby goat running around. Right. <laughs> uh, OK, so so let's talk about the the arc of Tuck and the arc of tj yeah in some ways you get tuck is going on the classic journey for an outsider hero towards domestication domestication always being represented in these in classic american or or or, uh you know european storytelling traditions by women and children like it's not a mistake that settling down family all that yeah that we end with tuck and tj and lope you know being protected as a unit uh whereas when we first meet him he's a lone man wandering onto the scene. So that's like his, his character arc is moving from the, the lone kind of uh, outsider figure where he's, he's not part of any group. Uh, he has a history, but it's kind of a problem, you know, uh, not a, not a smooth history with, with some of the people. Um, and there's something enigmatic about him to essentially having a family unit uh, by, by, by the end of the film. Um, but I don't feel like it's, it's not, you know, like Shane or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, some of the, some of the classic Westerns, you know, he's, he's not that much of an outsider <laughs> when we start as, right. you know, the broken Byronic heroes where there's something mysterious, but alluring about, you know, about them. It's, it's like, nah, it seems like he might've been a little bit of a jerk before, but he's trying to be a better man now. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I think well, some of the transformation has already happened for the character when we're meeting him. Yeah. He, he doesn't seem, you know, too rough or too rugged. He doesn't seem, you know, uh, particularly violent in Western terms, like using the tools of the enemy, you know, mm-hmm. using violence and aggression and guns and everything. Actually, a surprisingly little amount of guns in this Western. Yes, I was expecting more. Um, uh, and I was expecting more uh, of like the cowboy and Indian kind of motif to come up. And it never really does outside of saying, hey, we're putting on a show for, for mm-hmm. people. Uh, and 
so so but I think what we do have in his his transformation is Tuck coming in being monetarily focused, right? He is saying, I'm here for the money. I want to sell the show. I want to get the money. I want to go retire, buy a ranch and all that sort of stuff. Like he is looking for that domestic settling. Uh, Yeah, some kind of settling. When we first meet him, he is seeking that out. Uh, just the way he wants to go about it isn't something that TJ is interested in. And 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 he has kind of the the more crass money focus to it. It's like, I will do anything for a buck so I can settle down. Yeah, there, and he's then, a mercenary. And then by the end, he is not on board with exploiting Guanji for monetary value. Mm-hmm. That is, you know, one of the biggest differences I see is early on, I will exploit things for money. This is great. El Diablo, the little horse. I can make a fortune off of this and then I can settle down and and everything will be great. But then by the end, he is against exploiting Guanji for money, whereas TJ early on has has been pushing even more the domestication, settling down family, kids. All of that is is one of her main mindsets, and she agrees to to sell the rodeo, but when they get Guanji suddenly her eyes are full of dollar signs. <laughs> yes. And she's like, no, we're going to make a fortune off of this. He's like, but this isn't what we were going to do. Is it? I, I think it, maybe he is hoping that like, I I'm trying to remember specifically. I think Tuck is on board with Guanji being part of science and not part of exploitation for entertainment. Yeah. And so she says, no, we're going to put on the show and we're going to make so much money. And all of a sudden he's, they're not on the same page. At that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they get there. It's it's a little bit of the, you know, the, the kind of Jurassic Park hubris um, of like, oh, I, I we can control this thing. But at the same time, it's also I mean, I guess this is also Jurassic Park. Like someone uh, someone else is causing some of the problems. <laughs> so Jurassic Park, it's mm-hmm. it's, uh, you know, Ned looking for money uh, is, is going to cause everything to break down in this one. It is the Romani uh, still concerned about the, the curse kind of bring the curse. Yeah. They, uh, like they kind of self-fulfill the prophecy here. <laughs> yeah. They, they kind of say, well, they need to be cursed. So we're going to make sure that this goes bad. <laughs> yes. They we're going to release the dinosaur and there's some instant comeuppance uh, yes. <laughs> for, for them for doing this. Uh, so Yeah. And, and where so much of the movie, like the, the opening scene and everything is, is rooted in that, like the threat of the curse. It doesn't really feel like it pays off. Yeah. Um, I don't feel like there's much curse going on. Yeah. <laughs> um, like the, the bad luck that comes is, uh, well, I mean for Carlos, that's still when they're in the Valley. So yeah, something bad does happen to Carlos and he was specifically warned. Uh, so, so, and he ignored the warning and then that came, but everyone else is still warned, but they don't really pay a price. Carlos is the only one who really pays a price that feels like, Oh, this is kind of like fate coming and getting you. Right in some way yeah overall it well and and then like we talk about the professor i'm not sure why the professor needs to die in in this i i guess he also joins the financial train of exploiting like i don't think he fights against them putting on the show right but i mean he was also like his, his whole motivation like yeah he steals el diablo but it's really like i just want to go study I still want to go study stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so, and in this case, I think it's, well, if this is how I'm going to have access to Guanji, fine. I, but I'm here for studying it, not really for getting rich still, you know, it doesn't feel like that at all. So yeah, I don't feel like his death was, was earned, which 
like I, I still the only one of the new Jurassic Worlds I've seen is the is the the first one that they they released of that trilogy. And I remember there was one death that just felt really long and drawn out. And it felt like the audience was supposed to like really be like pleased to see this death. And like that character didn't deserve to die. Uh, apparently I've learned this thanks to franchiseography on dueling genre. Uh, that character got like her, her arc, her role in the film got uh, like cut out significantly. And so she was going to be a villain, m- more of a villain, more antagonistic, but they had already done the previs on her death. Uh-huh. And so pre-visualization's done. We're we're fil- we're gonna finalize the rest of that sequence with all the special effects. So that's how she dies. And, and it just it ended up feeling like gross and exploitative. Uh, yeah. in that one, or like I'm I'm taking like I'm not in like awe or wonder or shock. I'm just kind of like oh yeah. It, so it's just kind of <laughs> stuck in there because they had written a character and then uh-huh. removed a lot of that character, but yeah. they had planned an action sequence for that character. And it's like well we can't take that out. And that's kind of what I feel like with the professor's death of this. I'm like, ah, did I don't know what I'm supposed to feel about him dying. Is it just sad? Like, yeah. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah. It, and it, if anybody, I, I feel like TJ has, has another partner in the rodeo who, who, who is, is just about uh, like aggressively taking money from anyone aggressively. Yeah. Any, any penny that I can take from someone, even if they're poor, that's fine. Uh, yeah. You know. And he's, <laughs> he's mean to the, to the workers. He's like, this guy seems like a bad guy. Yeah. And he, if he had died from the cage falling, like, like that would have felt a little more earned than the professor. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember if we see him in the finale. I can't either. I'll be honest. I was not able to give like a hundred percent focus on the finale. <laughs> as, as it was, I'm like, I kind of know what's happening here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like you kind of anticipate I, I I think I anticipated deaths that didn't happen. Yes, I would agree. I thought there was going to be more. Guanji really doesn't rack up a big body count. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, well, saying I didn't like fully participate. It was more like when Guanji's like rampaging through the town. I wasn't paying full, but I did really like the the finale in the cathedral. Mm-hmm. I thought that was well done. Even if I was like partially thinking, this feels like the cathedral of a metropolis, <laughs> a, mm-hmm. a thriving economic center of and the, theoretically of the this uh, guanji made it miles from out of town into <laughs> what must be the center yes <laughs> uh but it was it was a great sequence and like really visually well done um, I'd, all of that i'd say like my my overall final thoughts about this is there are several like pretty great sequences i you know action sequences with cowboys and dinosaurs that are pretty solid And probably the best part of this whole movie is, you know, when when they've got like four different people trying to to lasso Guanji and there's like dinosaur versus dinosaur. And and Carlos, for some reason, spears one of them. It looks great. I don't know why. I I will say the blood in this is a little distractingly fake. Not like I want more, but the shade of blood that they had, it just stood out so much. That's like, like you that's all i can see is how fake that blood looks i always wonder sometimes if if it's a matter of modern televisions you know modern tvs upscaling or or brightening certain things entirely possible and i was surprised how how good this looked in general yeah like this looks pretty crisp pretty solid you know these landscapes look awesome Uh uh-huh oh and i will say like uh part of me when i was thinking like oh they don't do it like this anymore the location work i was like oh I love seeing these horses really being ridden by like real people on real horses in a real background. 
Yeah, like in, they found a, in a they genre. found some wilderness and yeah, they ride it around where they filmed it. Um, and, and like just really interesting rock formations. Uh, and I realized like when it comes to genre films, like if I'm expecting to see a dinosaur on stage, I on screen, I think part of me is mentally just said like, well, all this is in a big blue warehouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to see everything like there's a uh, something tactile uh, about the the real rock formations and the real you know every everything that's going on i love i loved seeing all of that it just felt real in a way that i'm like there's so much i love about marvel movies but it doesn't feel real <laughs> in a lot of their big action pieces it feels like oh well this is you know, actors in front of green screens and it's put together in a marvelous way and i can't point to exactly what it is that's making me feel that's not real and i'm enjoying myself but i also really enjoyed what was so obviously real actors on horses in in rocks you know riding mm-hmm. through a canyon here yeah there something about it feeling out, out west in the wild did feel very um uh, very different you know with with jurassic park even they're in a forest you know the depth of field is 20 feet mm-hmm. at any time you're seeing a dinosaur and it's like okay no like we've got a lot of space here and it's barren and yeah it, it Western films have some great landscape stuff. Yes. Um, let's see the character of TJ real quick. Uh, we, we already said a little bit that, you know, maybe she gets to be a little too mercenary. Um, there seems to be like something that's supposed to be super dramatic and make us like really impressed with her at the beginning. It doesn't quite work. The horse jumping into uh, the bucket the, of water. <laughs> I, the, the pull of I, for a while thought I was like, Oh, this is like, are they really going to have this happen? And and the, and then that's a, a stop motion, you know, effect when the horse is, actually jumps up the, the tower. Least, the least of the stop motion is the horse yeah. jumping into the pool. Because uh, I was like, is this a time when they could actually do this stunt? Have a horse jump off a thirty foot tower into a pool of water? Well, the, there's something strange about the scale where in some of the shots it does feel very high up, but something about when they actually do the stop motion, it felt like the horse traveled about three feet from the plank. <laughs> like it was a, it was a low, low diving board mm-hmm. instead of a high dive. <laughs> um, and and uh, something on that sequence just didn't quite land for me. But I think we're supposed to see TJ as a very brave, independent woman who is a businesswoman, you know, right. that, that's doing all these things um, and maybe loses her way a little bit. And, uh, this adventure with Tuck is kind of help going to help like recenter herself at the end. And you, I, I, the implication is, okay, she and Tucker get married and they're adopting Lope because I think he's an orphan boy, right? That, that was established in his opening scene. I think uh, so. Yeah, he's a little orphan boy. That this is now the family unit that's going to survive this adventure. Mm-hmm. Uh, overall, I think uh, it it's not bad. Like it's not a bad movie. Mm-mm. It's entertaining. It's fun. I can see why why Steven Spielberg would feel connected to it. I think he made a better version of it. Uh, yeah. In, yeah. in the end, like, Oh yeah. Like, like watch <laughs> Jurassic park. You're better yeah, off. They, but... that's all, the, 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 those are your two choices and you've never seen either. Absolutely. Go watch Jurassic park. But, but, but also saying, like, to oh, be I've fair, Jurassic park like five or six times in my life. Uh, you know, I'm just looking for something to, to, to throw on. This is not a bad choice. And, and you could get really into this. There are, there are moments in this like, heck yeah. Like, this is great. Uh, but but overall, you know, it is not the best version of this kind of story with found family or shifting values or, or dinosaurs domesticated. <laughs> yeah, uh, the, there's there's better versions that you could watch. Uh-huh. But but I thoroughly enjoyed 
this and had fun doing it. And I'm glad uh, that we picked up that Balderdash card and said we should do an episode of the podcast on that, even though we never seen it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and I really think that the best thing to come out of this is a chance to talk about like Ray Harryhausen does some great effects work and and it's really impressive. Doesn't Monsters Inc. have a shout out to Harryhausen? Yeah, they name her. They, they call her like the fanciest restaurant Harryhausen's. OK, well, that is earned. Uh, and, and just again, another nod that so much of what we do now in Hollywood, uh, Harryhausen is a foundational piece of that. I was really excited when I saw his star on the walk of fame. Oh, I didn't I know he like, had one. Harryhausen, great star. Totally, <laughs> totally deserved. There's a lot of people on that walk of fame. And I'm like, I don't know who this is. I don't know who this is. Some people I'm like, yeah, you definitely don't deserve this. Harryhausen, <laughs> nah, this should be here. Nah, I don't know who you are, but I know who you are in. Mm. Yeah. But but I saw Ray Harryhausen, absolutely, yeah, uh, and and that really was like a key part of the excitement of saying like oh we have to do this is because because we've never talked about Ray Harryhausen on the episode uh, on the podcast at all other than maybe some passing references here mm-hmm. and there, um, and uh, I'd seen Jason the Argonauts, never seen this one. I was excited to try something completely new and different. And in some ways, I think it's fun to have these conversations about a movie that's just okay, <laughs> you know, because if, if it's like a classic that's kind of held up. Uh, it's like well there's not much to nitpick and more we're just gonna delve it into like what's great about it which is worth i mean we've done a lot of those episodes but it's kind of fun to have one where it's like yeah the, you know this is solid but not great and here's a, a, a more nitpicks than usual but here's why we still kind of love it uh, you know it's still kind of great to go visit this mm-hmm all right, that is going to wrap up this episode. Thank you, listeners, for joining us. For show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows, you can go to DuelingGenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice, and please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We'd like to thank Scott Tofty, who composed our theme music. Thank you again for listening. We'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. So a couple of like, I guess the dead. Yeah. But but not by dinosaur. <laughs> by the results of dinosaur. Yeah.